This is an encore presentation of a 2015 interview I did with actor A.J. Murray and producer T.J. James when the documentary Becoming Bulletproof was premiering and back when I used to do long-form interviews. This encore version is shortened down a ton. We're going to hear only from A.J. about his art and background and less about the film than in the original version of the interview that aired. Let's dive right in. You posted this amazing picture on Facebook just yesterday, and it had the Shakespeare quotation, all the world's a stage. And then there's a picture of you on stage under a ton of lights. And then there's a quotation by you. All the world includes disabled actors. We demand inclusion on the stage, behind the scenes, production, creation, and decisions of what takes place on the world stage. Uh, yes, that was um, a quote that I, that I put up yesterday, and I just think that's that's so appropriate to um, me, um, my life as a performer. I want everyone with a disability, it doesn't matter what their disability is, to be included in the arts in like every facet, whether it's a film or theater or um in front of the camera, behind the camera, uh, whether it be studio execs or uh, stagehands, just just everywhere. I think the arts is so, so important. And I think that um, we, we should be included in every facet. Yeah, definitely. For people who haven't seen this documentary, Becoming Bulletproof, and haven't been to Zeno, uh, how would you describe Zeno Mountain Farm in your own words? Well, Zeno Mountain Farm is a place for people with and without disabilities to come together. Nobody pays to come to camp, and nobody is paid to work at camp. We're basically um, a group of very uh, diverse people from all different backgrounds and and ages we're all adults but it's all different ages basically um we're just a group of friends hanging out the the core of the mission is to support lifelong friendships between the two communities so between people with and without disabilities and one of the things that we say also as well is that camp is a bubble because so much love and and it, it's so inclusive and so when it's time to um exit and go back to the real world it's really hard because you really see it is possible for like everyone to come together of all different backgrounds and in some cases if not all the time have very different opinions but you can come together around the projects in a very cohesive, positive way. When you say that Zeno Mountain Farm is kind of like a bubble, it's happy, but it's also sad because the reality is that the a lot of the rest of the world isn't like that. Disabled people and non-disabled people are segregated um, all the way back to special education. People with disabilities are segregated from the rest of the school. And it's for a lot of people, it stays that way through their entire life. And what's so, I'm going to have to do it, what's so magical about the movie is that 
people with and without disabilities can have relationships that are not about just helping or curing or doing therapy and rehab. You can have real relationships. And I'm hoping that this film will sort of help that bubble expand. I'm very familiar with that separation. I, I've sort of had the best of both worlds because there was a period in my schooling where I was in a special ed room or I got to go to other rooms. I had friends within uh, special ed and, you know, we, we were good friends and we did things together. But within the school, we didn't have like any able-bodied friends, but there was a period, one year in elementary school, and then I got an opportunity in middle school. My middle school teacher really saw my potential uh, to be what they used to call mainstream. And so I got the opportunity to be mainstream and to go out into regular ed. And so I got, I got more friends like I, I had friends that were able-bodied and but one of the things that I realized particularly when it came to extracurricular activities was that a lot of times when when it came to like theater or course or anything like that I was the only person involved what what did it feel like to be the only one I'll give you an example. When I was in high school, there was this very uh, special thing once a year that uh, the drama students statewide got to do, and it was called Thethian Conference. And it was over 2,600 students. And it was this huge conference where in the morning we would go watch these fantastic plays all day. And then at night, like, go across the street to the school and take all kinds of workshops. And one of the things that I noticed was I was the only person on wheels. And I had another friend of mine who was an amputee. But out of, like, two over 2,000 students, we were the only ones that were disabled there. And I'm passionate about acting. And it's what I want to do for my vocation in my career. I was just like, you know, this is so much fun. There should be more people with disabilities involved. Um, and so what I wanted to do was try to uh, pilot a program and sort of get it off the ground where the regular ed drama clubs would act with their counterpart special ed programs because it involves a lot and because... I didn't have transportation at the time. I wasn't able to get that off the ground, but I, I, at some point, I would love to go back and do that because even if your goal is not to do professional theater, it's just a lot of fun and it teaches you a lot about public speaking, about not being shy, and it just gives you another outlet. One of the things that is particularly amazing about the documentary is that it allows people to see that the lack of people with disabilities in the media is not because we can't perform and we can't operate a camera and we can't make decisions. It's because there's not enough opportunities to do it. And transportation is a huge barrier. If you can't get to the place where the play or the film is being done, you can't be in it. 
when you make the space for people with disabilities to participate, people with disabilities participate. I'm reading a book right now on the history of the disability rights movement, and the book is called Make Them Go Away. And I, I mean, I'm having nightmares just reading this book. It's going all the way back to when the ADA passed and just how everybody is fuss, 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 but oh, it's going to cost too much and it hurts business. And, you know, we can't have the needs of people with disabilities overarch the needs of regular people. And I'm, I keep reading this. I'm like, regular people? What? Oh, my gosh. We are regular. Because this is our life. So this is regular, you know. I have different challenges, but we all do. Everybody has different challenges, but whatever those challenges are, it's just they're regular, you know? Yep. So I don't I don't look at myself as a disabled person as irregular, you know? I just look at myself as a person who happens to be in a wheelchair and who happens to need a lot of physical help. But that's not an issue and and that's that's not a problem. That's, right. That's just something that, you know, I have to deal with. And um, I think we would grow leaps and bounds in the industry and in society if we just looked at disability. And this may be a really hard concept for a lot of people, but if we just looked at it as regular, we would, like, move so far in the society if we just looked at it as normal and, and regular. We're just all together. Yeah. I I recently got trolled. Oh, man, some people found my YouTube and were just misogynistic and ableist toward me, and they were so awful. And one, one of many insults they lobbed at me was, how dare I suggest that society flex and adapt to allow disabled people to participate fully? It's us who have to adapt and get over it. And I'm like... Why is it that certain people have to change? You cannot be accepted as you are, and other people can be accepted just as they are. What was it like, AJ, to be the subject of a documentary film? Well, it was... um very surreal and amazing and very exciting at the same time it was a little bit nerve-wracking in a good way i suppose only because when they said that they were doing a documentary i knew the potential of what it could mean to a lot of people to show and and display on screen and explore what we do i knew that that would mean a lot to a lot of people because it's such a it's such a rare unique thing but it made me nervous because i i knew that i would be a voice for a lot of people mm-hmm. do you like that role yes as it turns out I, I like the role uh, we we've gotten a lot of uh really really good positive response for the film and people have come up to me and and um, said uh, thank you for being so transparent and so honest and uh, vulnerable at times. 
Like this one couple came up to me. They were grandparents, and they said that their grandson had CP and that they were nonverbal. But because they saw the movie and you know they saw me tell my story, they they kind of got a little bit of a sense of some things that he could be going through. That meant a lot to me. Another friend of mine who is, um, he's not nonverbal, but he has speech delay, so he's a little bit difficult to understand. There's this part in a documentary where I, I talk about um, relationship and, you know, some of my frustration. And he was like, I could totally relate. And he got a little emotional. And so that, that made me feel so good uh, that, that I was able to, uh, sort of, um, I don't want to get too highfalutin about myself, but I was able to play a little part in that. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I think what we, we didn't touch on earlier was what it means to grow up never seeing someone who looks like you on screen and how devastating that is because you know, the cool people are in movies, the beautiful people, the talented people. And if you don't see someone like you on screen, you are receiving the message that you're not beautiful, you're not talented, you're not worth being on screen. To me, it's so powerful to give people a place to see someone like themselves on screen. I would love to hear your perspective on how do people with disabilities usually come across in the movies or on TV? I don't know if you would find this similarly. In the movies, we're either portrayed as like very inspirational, aspirational, or a hero or an angel or something like that. Or on the complete opposite side of it, we're either kind of angry and bitter about being in a chair or bitter about being on a crutch or something. There's no, like, middle ground. Like, I don't know if you find that same experience, but it's either you're um, a heralded angel or you're a bitter crippled. So, right. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot of in-between, like, and I'm not saying you can't be, like, bitter or bad but you, you can you can be a bad guy or you can be like just like a, a regular blue collar person but there, there doesn't seem to be in the middle either in film on tv like see this very special episode <laughs> it's just like somebody dying for something or either they're going through cancer or I remember one time there was an episode of Glee. And oh, do, oh, excuse me. Sorry. I hate that show so much. All right. Continue, please. <laughs> you know, Artie, uh. the character that plays him is a buddy. But there was this one episode where there, there was a character who actually had a disability. He was in a bed and uh. it was a very special episode and he couldn't leave the room and they came to the room and and sung to him and yeah so like i said we're either inspirational aspirational or we're really really bitter and resentful yeah or pitiful i just cannot i will talk y'all's ear off about how much i hate that kevin McHale got that role but that episode 
where the real life quadriplegic guy was in bed and they came and sang to him, there was a wheelchair in that character's room. So why on earth he was lying in bed, you know, with no shirt on when he had a wheel? Like, why was he lying in bed? And every time they came over, he was always just lying in bed, looking sad. But they used him because Rachel had laryngitis, which, by the way, she did not do a good job portraying laryngitis. But anyway, (laughs) they went to this young man's house basically to teach Rachel a lesson. Hey, buck up. Don't feel sorry for yourself and your laryngitis. You could have it so much worse. You could be like this loser stuck in bed and he can't play football anymore. And, you know, they used a real life quadriplegic guy. But I don't think that gets them off the hook for using him as a prop for her to feel better about herself. And like you said, that makes him so irregular. I just, that episode was so grotesque. <laughs> I can't even. Let me tell you a story about Glee. Now, I, I know your feelings and I have the same <laughs> feelings about um, Kevin McHale, the, the arty character. I had those exact same feelings, but because I'm a theater geek and I'm really into musicals, <laughs> I, was a, I was a big fan of Glee. Yeah. Um, that's a separate thing. Actually, because I have a friend who was a part of camp, and actually his cousin played a character on Glee. So because of camp, we were able to uh, visit the set. Me and Jeremy were able to watch a scene being filmed, and I just thought it was so... It was kind of uh, funny to me, I guess, in an ironic way, because every time... He wasn't in a scene, Kevin McHale. He got up out of his wheelchair. And in my mind, I was like, you know, why why don't you just stay in it? Because I have to. I'm not trying to be like a a bitter crippled. But it was just so funny. I was right behind him. And he just got up and walked around. And he didn't have to be in the chair, you know? Right. But I've had issues with the show as well. Like, there's this one particular episode where he goes into a, a fantasy sequence. Oh, God. <laughs> it's obvious it's a dream, but uh, he gets up out of the chair and walks. And I really, really didn't like that. And I'm not trying to say that we're all, all monolithic or the same, but it sort of implies that your dream as a, as a chair user is to get up out of the chair and walk. There's two points about it. Because he's able-bodied, they're able to write that in. Mm-hmm. If he wasn't able-bodied, they would be never be able to write that scene in. Right. So I, I was really, really, um, just say, chafed about that. Mm-hmm. That one chapped my hide for sure. And I'm not even a chair user, and it chapped my hide. How do people with disabilities come across through becoming bulletproof? Or what will audiences see about disability? Hopefully they see that disability is um, it's just a part of everyday life and it's okay and it can be celebrated as far as making a film or making art. Great art can still be made and, and disability can be incorporated and also, like in the movie Bulletproof that Becoming Bulletproof is about, everyone 
that has a main role is disabled. The film shows that that's possible as well. I've heard that this makes like casting agents and studios a little bit hesitant. The other thing that the film shows very well is like, even though the majority of the cast is disabled, there are long hours involved. Things changing and having to wait around on set and deal with different challenges. I've heard that some of the excuses given for people with disabilities not being able to handle roles or be on screen, well, you know, they're concerned that they may have to pay for more insurance or people with disabilities may get sick or have several health challenges or just might not be able to cut it or the set is inaccessible. I can tell you on the set of Bulletproof, the average shooting days were eight to 12 hours. It was a lot of hours and there's a lot of hurry up and wait and you have to see your lines over and over again. And sometimes it was physically grueling, but we still had a lot of fun and we still were very professional and we we're able to get it done. So you can't have the excuse um, that people with disabilities, they might be kind of tired or they won't be able to handle it. Absolutely. And that happened in my community where a bunch of plays where all the characters had disabilities. They were put on all these uh, one act plays and the disability arts community here in Portland contacted them. Hey, uh, what's up? Can any of us audition for your play? And they said no. They actually said without meeting these performer friends of mine, they actually said people with disabilities can't handle the strenuous, rigorous schedule that we have and, and, and the demands that will be placed on actors. And, and then, oh, so they asked them, though, well, you guys can come for intermission and sing I Can See Clearly Now. <laughs> I went to see these plays and I was mortified. The physical effort that people put into pretending to have some kind of fake, bizarre, unrealistic disability, I was like, dude, my friends with CP could have pulled off this character with one quarter of the energy that you guys exerted pretending to have something CP-like. But... Aside from how much energy it takes, it is so discriminatory, and I don't think people mean to be malicious, but it is very discriminatory to hear the word disability and say, well, they can't, they won't be able to, there's no way. I think two things, I think there's a, a lack of awareness, and this is why more media repetition is important, because there's a lack of awareness, and then there's also a fear that you know, because let's keep it real, it's, it's show business and it's about time and money. And there's a fear out of ignorance that we won't be able to cut the mustard. Uh, but what Bulletproof showed is like, it's integrated with cast and crew. And some of us are working eight to 12 hours and we rose to the occasion. You know, speaking of long hours, I've been doing long hours forever. When I was in high school and I did theater, you know, I had class all day and then I had to get ready for a show. I was at school from 7.30 to 9.30, you know, and those are long hours, but I did it because I love it. Back in 2015, we talked more after this about the film's premiere. That isn't such hot news five years later, so we'll leave it here but I'd encourage you to follow AJ at 
Ajani AJ Murray on Instagram, and check out his most recent collaboration with Thomas Reed over at Read My Mind Radio called Young, Gifted, Black, and Disabled. And stay tuned. I'll just leave that there for now. Every episode is transcribed. Links, guest info, and transcripts are all at whoamitostopit.com, my disability arts blog. I'm Cheryl. This, this is, is Pigeonhole. 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 Don't sit where society puts you.